been a real privilege today to have Wes Aram with us. Wes is the director of the Living Waters Ministries, and uh, which includes the Circle C Ranch uh, down in the southern tier, as you know. And uh, we're looking to God now to bring us a real blessing as Wes ministers the word again to us tonight. Wes? Thank you. I want to say thank you for the music. enjoyed that very much. And uh, that's a beautiful cello playing. It really was excellent. I enjoy hearing string music when it's played properly, and that was excellent cello playing. It really was. And you notice how her nervous fingers were doing their job? They sure were. That's called vibrato, and it was excellent. And that song she sang of Andrew Grouch's, I could, uh, I was quite interested in that. I've never been, in all my life, I've never been in a wedding or participated in a wedding like I was this summer. And I had to fight at the end of the wedding. I did the ceremony. And I had to fight at the end of the wedding, honestly, to say, and all God's people said, and they would have said, Amen. I have never been to a wedding like it in my life. The girl that got married was a singer from the Liberty Baptist College. She was in the chorale they have on television, tremendous singer. And uh, she told me about the wedding. It sounded like a Chinese fire drill. Really, it did. I had, you couldn't know the players without a scorecard. She had changed it, so it was going to be absolutely different. And she said, Wes, I want this wedding to bring honor and glory to the Lord. And it did. Uh, after the bridal party, in part, was on waiting for her to come, instead of coming down to the traditional song, which, of course, is seeing Here Comes the Bride type of thing, she came down to her own singing over the PA, God is so good. God is so good. It was really almost electrifying because she has got a beautiful voice. And her mother and father both came down with her, walking by her side instead of just the customary dad. And his mother and dad were already up front here. And when they came to the front, I welcomed the people, and then I said to, to the bride, I said, you have some words to say. And she handed her bouquet to her bridesmaid. She went over and took the hands of her mother and dad as they faced her, and she told them what they meant to her. I had never seen anything like it. And she was fighting tears, and so were they, and so was I, and so was the whole crowd. White handkerchiefs came out, and people were beginning to, really? We, we talk about a revival service. We had a beaut. And when she got finished, he did the same to his mom and dad. Now, I've never been in a thing like this in my life, but you know, I thought that's terrific. Mom and dad had brought them to this point, and they thanked them. And then when they gave their vows, they didn't follow vows that I had given. They had their own vows, and I had already given a short sermonette to his husband and wife responsibility, and they gave their vows. And she looked at him, and she told what she would do under God, and he told what he would do under God. Well, the whole thing was just honoring the Lord and going out. They stood there after I introduced Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so to the crowd. Her brother, who was also a tremendous singer, started to sing that very song, To God Be the Glory. And uh, he sang it, and then they marched out on that note. The whole thing was just honoring and glorifying the Lord. And that's when I had the fight saying, and all God's people said, and I know that all said amen, because it was that kind of a meeting. So I love to hear that song sung, To God Be the Glory. And that was what that wedding was. It was the most unusual wedding I've ever been at, and I was glad to be a part of it to see a wedding that was really, truly not, the bride wasn't the key point in the whole thing. The Lord was. And that's exciting to be in a, in a wedding like that. I told her, I said, if your marriage is as good as your wedding, you got it made. <laughs> that's for sure. But we're glad to be here, and we're glad you folk have come. And um, if you've not been out our way, we invite you to drop out sometime and visit with us. We are right now in the process of putting up an indoor gymnasium, and our next building, which we hope to break ground for in April, will be an indoor swimming pool with the sauna, whirlpool, and all the rest of it. And then if everything goes according to schedule, the Lord can change schedules, and he does, but if it goes according to schedule, next fall we'll break ground for our huge indoor riding arena. 
which will, the building itself will be 120 feet wide and 252 feet long, but the arena will be 80 by 252, and we are looking forward to having one of the finest uh, equipped camps in the state of New York, if not in the entire country, where we'll be able to have family retreats. We're redoing our dining hall right now. You won't know it. When you, if you've seen the dining hall before, you won't know it. We're redoing it, putting new floor on, lowering the entire ceiling, putting new beams, everything else on. And then we're redoing our bunkhouses where the counselors have been. We're putting in double bunks. We're going to even carpet it, if you can imagine, for the counselors. And we're doing it for husbands and wives so they can stay with their family. And we're putting in partitions so they'll be able to stay and have six kids. If you've got more than six kids, well, we can always put in more bunks. You can stack them up in there. But uh, we're going on family retreats in the near future. So we got some real plans. And as someone I've said to many people, I have Cadillac vision and Model T finances. And I said that to Dr. George Mundell, the great giant of God. And I said, George, I've got Cadillac vision, but Model T finances. He said, no, you've got, you're half right. He said, you've got Cadillac vision, but your father owns the plant. That's pretty good. I said, you're right. So I invite you people, if you have a prayer list, put us on your prayer list, if you will. We're talking anywhere from three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars. That's a lot of money to me, but it's not much to him. I mean that. Pray with us. What we're going to be doing is open every day of the week. Every day of the week. I'll have to hire a full-time athletic director, I know. But every day of the week, we're going to have basketball teams, volleyball teams. You get a half hour of Jesus, hour and a half of basketball, volleyball, horseback riding, but a half hour of Jesus first. See, I learned that at the city mission. You preach to him first, then you get the soup and the sandwiches. I know. I work down there. I learned, and that's what we're going to be doing. So pray with us. I anticipate, by God's grace, we'll leave an impact on that community like they've never seen because we'll get the young person saved, get them excited about Jesus, and put them right back into doing a job for the Lord. So do pray for us. It's a big undertaking that we've got, but we're looking forward with real anticipation to see God move. And the steel's already been ordered for the one building, and we're hopefully going to have that up shortly. Uh, first of all, I'd like to have you smile. Now, wait. Why? I've got a reason for this. Now, if you're a song leader, you want to get a crowd to smile in a number of different ways. This is one nice way. It's, very, it's a very uh, dignified way. Ask the person to look at the person, look at the person next to you on either side and give them a smile. Go ahead, try it. Of course, sometimes you get rude people that laugh out loud in your face, but uh, very rude. Hi, Bob. But um, that's the way to smile. Now, I'm gonna, I want to say something to you. I've got it for a reason for having you do that. Now. Have you, had a, have you people had a good day? Been good, huh? We had a good service this morning, didn't we? It was good, wasn't it? All right, I have a motto. It's a life motto with me. I got it from Dr. A.W. Tozer, the Christian Missionary Alliance. He said this, have as a life motto. If I did it, it's no good. If it's good, God did it. And that was good this morning because God did it. All right, I have a blessing I want to share with you. I uh, had a kind invitation from one of the families of this church to go to dinner with them today, and I asked if I could be excuse because I had another appointment that I wanted to get at. I felt the Lord wanted me at. And I have a lawyer. He's a Roman Catholic. And uh, his dear wife accepted Christ shortly a few months ago, and they invited me to come to their house for dinner. I've been praying for this lawyer of mine. Witnessed to him back about six years ago I started. And this afternoon at 5 o'clock I had the joy of leading him to Christ. He got saved. Well, I'm just thrilled to death, to say the least, to see that dear fellow accept Jesus Christ. It's a separated home. And I said, John, some changes have to be made. He says, you bet. Because you've got precious kids that need to know about this Jesus, and they need a dad that's going to live for God. And he agreed. And so I, I'm just thrilled to say that I had the privilege of leading him to Christ. But guess what he told me? Now, I want you people to hear this. He has been to Bible-believing churches. And guess what he said? He says, I looked at the people sitting there. He said, they look so sad. <laughs> 
Now, wait a minute. They looked so under the load that he said, I honestly didn't want what they had. Now, isn't that tragic? But it's true. You know why it's true? Because most Christians are not living as God wants them to live. You heard it this morning, been ashamed of Jesus and all the rest of it. Tonight, I'm going to talk to you about something that's vitally important that is a lost art in this, which we call our church. But I said to him, John, don't go by what people look like. Well, he said, I've seen a few that look like they are, have what they're talking about. But he said, very few. I lived in a home that had what it was talking about. Can you imagine being brought up in a home? My dad died when I was 29 years of age. So up until that time, in my home, never once in my entire life ever hearing my dad say an unkind word to my mother or my mother to my dad. In 29 years that I can remember, now a little baby I wouldn't remember, but from about four years of age up on I would, never once did my dad say an unkind word to my mother or my mother to my dad. I wasn't a Christian when I was 17, but don't you ever let anybody tell me before that time that Christianity wasn't real or mock out my parents. I'd have punched them right in the nose because of the simple reason I knew it was real. I saw it, my mother and my dad. And guess what? We had the happiest home going. We had a happy home. I can still hear my mother answer the phone. Hello. That was her whole life. Joy of the Lord. My dad just thrilled with Jesus. If you knew my dad, you knew. You talked to my dad, he was alive. Boy, he was something else. Why? Because he was doing what God wanted him to do. Now, tonight, I'm going to talk to you, and let me get your attention, please. I don't want you to talk while I'm talking, because if you do, I'm going to ask you to leave. I'm serious. Don't do it, because I'm here to preach. And this is the Word of God, and you respect the house of God. And if you talk when I talk, I'm going to say, please stop, all right? Would you please leave? And I mean it. If you're going to talk, leave right now. Save me the trouble of, of asking you to leave, because I will. I had to put one girl out of a, church, of a service, and her mother sat there, and she was so mad at me afterwards. And I said, what are you mad about? I've had parents glare at me. I said, don't glare at me. If your kids are that age and don't know how to behave in church, you'll be ashamed of yourself. And I mean that. And I don't expect you adults to talk. I'm not going to preach long, but what I have to say is so vitally important, you desperately need it. Now, if you feel you have to talk, then you go outside and you do your talking, but don't do it in the church service. And by the way, if, if you have a pastor, which I presume is not, don't ever let the kids or adults talk in church. Mm-mm. We talked about that today, Mike. <laughs> That's right. I don't believe in that. No way. So now what I got to say is vitally important. I want you to hear it. So I started the church. I'm going to read the scripture in a few moments, but before I do, I want to share something with you. I was 17 years of age when I got converted. After I got converted, I graduated from high school. I graduated the same high school, believe that high school. I graduated from high school, and then I was called of God to go to Bible school. I went for three years and graduated from a fine Bible school. I had nothing against Bible school, wonderful Bible school. But not for the folks who taught Bible school. I spent one year at a fine Christian college. I mean, four years. My fifth year of that education beyond high school, I went and transferred to a university, Christian University. They were training preacher boys and had a tremendous course. And I went there to double major, music and theology. While there, I got into a preacher boys class that had 12 to 1,300 fellows. It was a big school, 6,000. Now it has almost 6,000. And while there, I sat in my first what we call preacher boys class, and I got the shock of my life. First thing I did like was when they had the leader of the group come, a few people came on the platform, 12, 1,300 fellas, and the leader said, all right, fellas, let's stand and sing our theme song. Here was the theme song. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. I'll say the words. I'll let you sing it so these people know how. But here's the theme song. 
Jesus is our battle cry. I had never heard such singing. These guys just about lifted the roof. Piano player pounded on that grand piano they had. You could hardly hear me. The guys just singing, souls for Jesus is our battle cry. The founder of the university stood up. Do you remember him? I sat under his ministry for six years, and thank God for the memory of the man. Big, thick neck, shoulders, big man. I thought he'd look something like Martin Luther ought to look. Big. He stood up, and he said, boys, I'm glad to have you in my preacher boys class. So I say, listen to me, boys. That's the way he talked. You listen to me. I got something to tell you. And here was his announcement. You're here because you believe you've been called of God to preach. Good. We need preachers. Now, some of you are here, and you say, well, now, when I get out of this school, I'm going to be a preacher, I'm going to be an evangelist, I'm going to be a missionary, and I'm going to win souls. He says, you hear me, boys, because I'm not going to announce it again. In this school, you have six weeks, from this day, six weeks, to get out into the highways and the hedges and start witnessing and winning them to Jesus, or you do not study for the ministry in my class. You can change your course in this school and be something else, or if you're going to be a preacher, you go someplace else. I will not have you in my class. Wow. I had had four years of good education. I had never heard that. You got six weeks, boys. We had preacher boy groups. A group leader, assistant group leader, and eight other fellows. Ten of us in a group. My assignment was 110 miles away. And they found out I played the piano, so I was playing for a quartet. We would play the piano. We'd, they had a little organ, a pump organ in the street. We'd hold street corner meetings. We'd pass out gospel tracts. We were working like mad. Twelve to thirteen hundred guys going like everything, witnessing and trying their best to win souls to Jesus. Then when we'd have a soul saved, we'd fill out the card and explain the decision that was made and hand in cards every week. We had to keep doing this every week during the summer, too. You had to witness to a soul every day during the summer. You couldn't come back to preacher boys' class. I mean, boy, they believed in soul winning. And at the end of nine and a half months, those 12 to 1,300 preacher boys had personally dealt with and led to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ over 40,000 souls. Now, I mean, I got six years of this, boys, go for souls, say, fellas, go for souls, tell them about Jesus. And he poured into us, old Dr. Bob Jones, Sr., because Bob Jones University was a school, one of the schools I graduated from. But Bob Sr., you couldn't beat him. He's now gone to glory. He would inspire us guys to go for souls, boys. If you find somebody, nobody loves you, tell them Jesus loves them. Boys, go get them. And I mean, he'd whet our appetite at 20 after 4 on Friday. We could hardly wait to get to our cars and wheel out of that place to go soul winning. I got out of that school, graduated, did the graduate work, and left, finished. My first assignment was to a fine church, over 900 in Sunday school. It was no small church, two morning services in the, to keep the crowd, to get the crowd in, two services in the morning. And I found out nobody, but nobody, was winning anybody to Jesus Christ. I was heartsick. Nobody was winning a soul to Jesus. Nobody was doing anything. It was a lost art. It still is. The tragedy of needing soul winners. You know what a thrill it is? Today, when I could bow my head and lead that lawyer to Jesus Christ, I was so thrilled and so excited I could hardly keep the tears back. I said, thank you, Lord. Oh, I appreciate this. For six years, I've been working on that guy. And God says, today's the day. You'll sit week after week and month after month, and you won't witness, you won't testify, you won't do a thing. You got a responsibility. Take your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at three verses of Scripture, and then I'm through. Three verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul the Apostle, the great soul winner, the great preacher, the great prayer warrior. Paul the Apostle, under inspiration, is speaking. Verse 10 is in the Bible, by the way. Chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's take a look at verse 10. 
Now, in the Bible, three people speak, God, man, and the devil. God never tells the truth. Man sometimes tells the truth. God always tells the truth. Only three people are spoken to in the Bible. The Jew is a nation, the unconverted Gentile and Jew, and the Christian. Here we find God is speaking through the Apostle Paul to born-again believers. Verse 10 is for the Christian. Look at it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may give an account of that which we have done, whether it be good or bad. One day I knelt in my room and I said, Dear Lord Jesus, help me to understand that verse. And I, I really am glad I did. But as I knelt there, all of a sudden the Lord let me realize that verse is true. Did you know, young person, an adult here, if you're born again, you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account of what you've done for him? That's right. This has nothing to do with salvation. That's already been taken care of. This has to do with rewards. Do you know, on that day, I'm convinced there are going to be Christians going to stand there and they're going to bawl. Tears run down their face. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Why? Because you've been an unprofitable servant. All your good works is put in, as it's called, into the crucible of fire, and they come out as wood, hay, and stubble, and a heavy, dark smoke. And Jesus looks at you and says, you unprofitable servant, saved yet so as by fire, literally by the skin of your teeth. Jesus looks and says, you unprofitable. And how many of Christians are going to hear that? How many of you here tonight are going to hear that? You haven't opened your mouth about Jesus like some of you this morning. Thank God you made decisions that got you right. How about you? Oh, yeah. We're going to have to give an account. Now, Paul the Apostle under inspiration gives three reasons in this chapter why we ought to go out and win souls. Look at verse 14, if you will. Paul says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Many other verses tell how Paul so loved Jesus he just had to get out the good news. What does that mean? That means that you have a love for Jesus Christ to such a degree that you've just got to tell other people about him. Now listen carefully, please. Tonight I'll say a few things that I don't want you to miss because I think they're so vital. Number one, everything that involves God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, everything is supernatural. You're convicted supernaturally. You're saved supernaturally. You understand the Word of God supernaturally. The natural man cannot receive the things of God for they're spiritually discerned. Supernatural. You are filled with the blessed Holy Spirit supernaturally. You have an agape love for Jesus Christ supernaturally. Most Christians have a phileo love. In Greek, that means a human fondness for the Lord Jesus. The agape love is a deep divine love that comes from heaven that is supernatural, placed in the Christian toward the Lord Jesus. And when that kind of love hits you, you love his Bible. You love to pray. You love to tell people about Jesus. You're literally consumed with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you have so much false fire today. People are going after everything. They're getting involved in all these movements. They're trying to see something that's going to satisfy. And of course, the tragedy is they get one high, 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 high after another until all of a sudden there's no more high they can go and then the horrible collapse. And then they do one of two things. They either, either fake it or they'll fall off and quit completely. Jesus costs. Oh, it sure does. To fall in love with Jesus costs you what I talked about briefly this morning. It costs you yourself. If you want to be a Christian that's truly in love with Jesus, Jesus prayed you would be, Father, that I might be in them and the love where which thou lovest me might be in them. What? Yeah. Jesus is praying that we'll love him like God loves him. That's supernatural. Dr. A.W. Tozer, I've mentioned his name before. We were in, he's like a dad to me. Prayed for me every day. I, I, I missed that man so when he left to go to heaven. But I remember one day we were down at uh, Eaton's in not Toronto, talking, big store. And I saw him. I said, Doc, how are you? Hi, Wes. And we talked about, oh, maybe 30 seconds, and all of a sudden he was telling me, 
uh, about Jesus, about how, oh, it was so wonderful to be saved. And you know what I was doing? I was fighting desperately to keep from crying. You could just feel the presence of the Lord all around you, right there in the store. And he was talking about this lovely Lord Jesus. He used to write love notes to Jesus. That's right, write love notes to Jesus. Dear Jesus, just want you to know I love you. And when he died, he had six sons and one daughter, and his daughter was Rebecca. When he died, they asked her this question, what a testimony. They said, Rebecca, quite a loss. She said, yes, but I can do nothing else but rejoice. Now listen to this. Because my father lived his entire Christian life for this moment when he'd see Jesus face to face. What a testimony. My father lived his entire Christian life for this moment when he'd be absent from the body, present with the Lord. You want to fall in love with Jesus? It's going to cost you. But I'll tell you something. You'll be a different Christian. Oh, you'll even have so-called, quote, unquote, Christian brethren that are going to condemn you. They're going to mock you out and find fault with you. Why? Oh, you're super pious. You're trying to be hyper-spiritual. Get a person shed a tear about a soul, and all of a sudden, boy, I mean, are they emotional. But you can scream your fool head off for a ball game. Yell like mad because of all game. Cheer like mad. I've seen cheerleaders weep when their team lost by a point. Well, they're not fanatics. They're just excited teenagers. See a teenager on their knee and cry, oh God, save my buddy. What are they trying to be? Super spiritual, hyper pious? Hey, let me tell you something. You fall in love with Jesus, and boy, you're going to know what it is to spend time with him. You just want to. Why? You love him. When you court that gal or guy, as the case might be, and you're together and you fall in love, you're engaged, and you like to be with each other. Why? You're in love. You fall in love with Jesus. You just want to tell others about him. I could look at John today, and as I said to him, John, Jesus is the loveliest person in all the world. You can't do anything better than to accept him. I was telling him the truth. To fall in love with Jesus, Paul says, if you do, you're going to tell others about him. That's the first reason you ought to be a soul winner. Have you fallen in love with Jesus? What's it going to cost? Everything. You're going to have to come to the place where you're willing to have transparent honesty. Boy, that's tough. Where you have everything clear between you and God. There's not one single thing in here displeasing to God. You've apologized to everybody you're supposed to apologize to. You've given back all the money you're supposed to give and that you cheated on income tax, and some of you probably have. Well, the government can afford it, but you can't. You can't afford to let some money come between you and Almighty God. Don't do it. Your talent, you get, God gives you a little talent, thank God for it. But don't brag on it. Don't relish in it. If you do, it's a waste of God's talent to you. It doesn't do a thing. If I play the piano just to show off, forget it, Aram. It doesn't mean a thing. But if I play because I'm grateful for a little talent God gave me, he puts it down in the record book. He played for me. What's your motive? Why are you living? What are you doing? What are you do why are you doing what you're doing? You businessmen, why are you making money? I asked one business, multimillionaire that. I looked right at him. I said, why aren't you preaching? He said, I haven't been called to preach. I said, what have you been called to do? He said, make money. I said, for what? You know what I was driving at? I said, if you're taken, he says, well, I give over $1,000 a month to the Lord. I said, the Lord's not interested in how much you give. The Lord's interested in how much you keep. That's right. The widow gave more than all the rest. Why? She gave all. She kept nothing. They gave out of their abundance. I'm glad you got people tithing, Bob. That's great. You ought to. That's the least you ought to do. Hey, tithing, that's what the Jew did under the law. You ought to do much more than that. You can support 10 Jewish people, can support an entire synagogue. 
Because they give. God's given you ability to make money, use it for his glory. Don't be foolish to stick it in this world. It's going up in smoke. Put it on ahead where you're going to meet it. Oh, man, that's great. I want to know where my money's going to. To glory. Put it in the bank up there. I don't have much here, but I'm stuffing it in up there. I really am. I'm having a wonderful time. Sticking it up there. And there's no drop in interest. There's no collapse of that bank. No holdups up there. No Ross Moth can't. Nope. Ross, Ross Moth. Nope. Can't do a thing for it. Nope. Mm. Everything's taken care of. Why? It's God's bank. You put it up here, Christian, he said, and I'll take care of it. As I said, the 183-year-old man, he said, I'm set for life. Set for life. My money's in blue chip stock. Set for life. 83. I said, how long do you plan on living? Well, and he told me how old his dad was. He was in the 90s when he died. I thought, how sad. The multimillionaire. Missionaries crying for money. His another woman, she was a multimillionaire. She wouldn't give, she gave $100 to the ranch, which I'm grateful for. I asked her for 10000 That's right, I did. To put up the chapel. I said, we'll have thousands of kids saved in that chapel. And we had. She gave me $100. And she says, I believe in putting my money in stocks and bonds so that it, I can get renewals on it. Guess what? She died two years ago. Do you know how much she left? All of it. That's right. Didn't take a nickel with her. I don't know how much she met up there. I know she met $100 because she put it in God's chapel. She could have met 10000 Had it multiplied thousands of times over. When you fall in love with Jesus, let me tell you something, man. He gets your pocketbook. He gets your bank book. He gets your family. He gets everything. He is the one that you are absolutely controlled by. They walked down the street that day, Mary and John, true story. They were engaged. As they came down the street, there came a man walking toward them, the most horrible, disfigured face you could want to see. It was just ugly to look at, just terrible. John said to his fiancée, Mary, he said, Honey, I want you to meet this man. She looked at him from a distance. She said, John, please, he's so ugly I can't take it. Don't, don't, don't put me through that, please. He wouldn't listen to her. man came. He shook his hand, put his arm around him. He says, I want you to meet my fiancée. And what else could she do? The nicety. And they talked for a little bit and said goodbye. As they walked down the road, she was very upset. She said, John, that was very unkind. She said, you haul off and embarrass me by having me look at that ugly man and meeting him. She said, why did you do that? He said, honey, I love that man. Four years of age, our house went up in smoke. Mama thought daddy had me. Daddy thought mama had me. All of a sudden, they heard me scream. Daddy started back in, they tell me, and the fireman grabbed him and said, you can't. You no way you can save that boy. That man grabbed the blanket, tore into the house, fought the flames in the smoke and threw it around me and brought me down. I could hear the crashing of the stairs behind. The fire did that to his face, saving my life. I love that man. Take a look at his disfigured face. Take a look at the pierced hands and the feet. Oh, yeah. I love that man. He took that judgment of God for me. I love that man. The Holy Spirit's want, Spirit wants you to love him too, Christian. Take that vessel of yours, your body, and turn it over to God and invite the Holy Spirit to fill you full of himself and say, oh, Holy Spirit, give me a love for Jesus. He will. You fall in love with Jesus, you're going to be a testifier. Number two, verse 11, look at it briefly. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What did Paul say? Because I know the awful horribleness of the judgment of God. 
This is the thing I am, I, I am prone not to be able to understand. If I ask you people how many of you believe the Bible is the Word of God, your hands would go up. I'm sure most of you, not all of you. But you know, it's prayer meeting time. It's always the smallest group in the church. It's always a small group. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm all for Bible study. But we have allowed our Bible study to take precedence over prayer. Yes, we have. We put our Bible study as important in our prayer meetings. We end up with a short little time of prayer, and that kind of appeases our conscience. Yet did you know any church that does not have a powerful, systematic prayer ministry going on is on a treadmill, spinning its wheels, doing nothing, because God does nothing but an answer to prayer. Dwight L. Moody's associate said, I don't believe one soul will be in heaven that somebody somewhere didn't pray for, and I'm in complete agreement. As you study the Word of God, that's exactly what the Bible says. Ask the people, do you believe there's a hell the unsaved are going to? Sure do, preacher. What are your prayer meetings like? Oh, man, we got a crowd, Wes. They pile into prayer meetings. What do you do? Oh, we pray. We get a hold of God. The tears flow because our hearts are burned. My hearts are concerned. Yeah, I don't know anything about your church. Does that sound like your prayer meeting? Not at all uncommon, Wes, to hear a woman start to pray, Oh, God, save my boy, and she can't finish. To hear a young person pray, Oh, Lord Jesus, please save him, can't finish. For now thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. I want you to hear this. This is the word of God. We people don't realize this. The foolish shall not stand in, the, in thy sight, O God. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Now listen to it. The next Psalm 5 down says this. Upon the wicked thou shalt rain snares, fire, brimstone, horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Why? Because the Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, God's soul hateth. When was the last time you heard a sermon preached on how God hates sinners? You know what you'll be told? Which is only partly true. God loves the sinner but hates their sin. The Bible says God hates the sinner. That's right. You take a look at it. The lovely Lord Jesus, what's he going to be doing to the sinner? Jesus shall be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be separated forever from the glory of God in the presence of his power. Does that sound like love? And God says, Whosoever is not found in the book of life shall be cast in the lake on the fire with fearful and bleeding abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in that lake which burned with fire and brimstone, which shall have no end. We have made out God sitting in heaven as a grandfather that kind of smiles at our stinking sin. And, well, you know, God understands. The trouble is we don't understand. You think you can get away with sin? And well, God, just he just loves me and hates my sin. I got news for you. If you're here tonight, an unsaved person, God hates you. Hates you with a passion unknown. And he's going to prove it one day. But you see, God can do what I can't do. God can love you and hate you at the same time. God says, I love you. But you are condemned already, sinner. The Bible says that. The only thing that keeps you from feeling that, heart's pumping, blood through your body, oxygen to your brain, the moment that ceases, the judgment of God, the hatred of God just drops. You're put into Hades, lake of fire, you're there until God's dead, come forth. 
I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and Hades delivered up the dead which were in it. And it was the books, the book of life. But these were judged out of the things written in the books. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, cast in the lake of fire. Boy, I'll tell you something. I fear God. I mean it. I fear him as a Christian. If I do a dirty business deal, God's going to lick me good. If I'm unkind or do something wrong, God's going to spank me. God says, I hate sinners. They are spitting on my son's blood. They're mocking it out. They're stepping on it and counting it an unholy thing. God says, the workers of iniquity, my soul hate it. God says, I give them now my love. I so love them, I gave Jesus, but if they reject my love, I'm going to show them my hatred like this world has never known. Read your Bible. Here, let me give you a little bit. This is the Word of God, dear people, and we need to realize it. The Bible says, and I, when I beheld, they opened the sixth seal. Lo, there was a great earthquake. And the Bible says the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. The stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heavens departed from the scroll where it rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for his great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture to the cup of his indignation. And they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night. And the beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. And them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive in the lake of fire and brimstone and the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever and on and on it goes the judgment of God Paul says I believe that and because I believe that I've got to tell them that Jesus loves them that Jesus died for them that Jesus will give them eternal life I've got to tell them I've been in many a crusade, and I've had the joy of sitting in and watching God work in some real revivals where an entire town has been moved by God, and I just sat there and watched him. But every time I saw a revival break out, it was when the Christian got transparent honesty. When they said, God, I'm wrong. I'll give back. I'll do right. I want your blessing. And then immediately after they got right with God, immediately they turned around and they had someone they wanted to win and see one for Jesus. Our prayer meetings in one of those little towns in Winkler, Manitoba, when revival broke out, our prayer meetings, if you can believe it, after the service were running five and six hundred people and they were praying as a group for souls to be saved. And God answered that prayer as the entire town was shaken from stem to stern by Almighty God because the people believe there was a hell they were the unsaved were going to and they said we don't want them to go you believe in a hell ten times out of the eleven the lake of fires mentioned jesus christ himself mentions it jesus says don't go there it's better to have an eye plucked out a hand cut off a foot cut off and make heaven than to have all the faculties of your body and make hell jesus says don't go there don't go there i died that you won't have to go there 
Christian, if you believe that, truly believe it, you're going to be a soul winner. Verse 20, and we're through. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? He's one that represents. Represents his country. I'm an ambassador, not because I'm a preacher, because I'm a Christian. I'm an ambassador for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Boy, that's exciting. And as a Christian, you're called to be an ambassador. Now, wait a minute. You have been given the responsibility as a born-again believer to be a witness for Jesus because he said, "Ye are my witnesses. All right? What does an ambassador do? He represents his country. What else does he do? He knows all the ins and outs of getting people from their country into his, what they have to fill out as far as forms and tests that have to be taken and all the rest of it, how many months or uh, years the case might be, they have to stay there, then they can get their citizenship and so forth. He knows how to get them into the country. Did you know every single Christian, every born-again believer should know how to lead a soul to Jesus Christ? That's right. Now, I'm not your pastor. If I were a pastor of this church, because I've been a pastor, and I did this, and it, it works beautifully. If I was a pastor of the church, I'd get together with every one of my board, board members first, and I would teach them how to lead a soul to Jesus Christ. If you didn't know how, they did. I would repeat it and make sure they did. And they'd practice on each other to make sure they could lead a soul to Jesus. That's right. Then I'd get a hold of every Sunday school teacher. And I teach them how to lead a soul to Jesus Christ and they practice on each other and know how. We do this at the ranch. Every one of my counselors have led at least six souls to Christ before they come into their first unsaved, doing it among themselves with Christian kids. They practice. They know how. God will know how. And do it right. They need to know how. Then I'd take all the church members and every single one of them. I had to go to their home. I'd, I'd call meetings. And we'd have souls. I'd teach them how to win souls. I would not have one single church member, member of this church, didn't know how to lead a soul to Jesus Christ. You say, Wes, you're kidding. No, I'm not. I was a pastor. Had an evangelist come. I'd been there two years. Boy, was God doing something. I had the people get saved, teach them how to win souls. They were out winning souls. We had over a third of the town get saved in two years. And the preacher came, evangelist. He said, uh, Wes, you got, soul, you got counselors ready? I said, ready to go. All right, how many you got? I said, the whole church. No, no. He said, I mean, how many can lead a soul to Christ? I said, the whole church. He said, they're doing it all the time. He said, you got to be kidding. No, of course not. Win souls. We had a great meeting. Afterwards, he shook my hand. He said, I wouldn't have believed it. He says, you got every single member of Soul Winner. This will shake you up. You couldn't belong to my church if you didn't come to prayer meeting. That's right. I wouldn't have a Sunday school teacher who wouldn't come to prayer meeting. <laughs> Waste of time. I mean it. I wouldn't have a board member who didn't come to prayer meeting. I'm stepping on some toes now. Good. I mean it. Good. I'm not here as a popularity contest anyway. You're going to have to give an account to Jesus Christ. That's right. And we need to quit playing church. We need to start getting into the place where God wants us to be. I wouldn't have a member of my church didn't come to prayer meeting. Why? That's the most important meeting in my church. We have a little word of prayer for the preacher. We need to have a volume of prayer going up. You remember Charles Haddon Spurgeon? You've heard of him. You read about him, the great giant of God out of England. He had 24 men on their knees underneath him when he was preaching. They were hanging on to God for their pastor upstairs. Why do you think he had such power? He had people just literally saturating him with prayer. You can do me the biggest favor in the world if you put this guy's name on your prayer list, and I mean that. That's better than giving me a check for $1,000, and God knows I mean it's the truth. I need all the prayer I can get. So does your pastor when you get him. Pray for him. Don't chew him out. Pray for him. Well, I don't like him. Ask God to give you a heart that'll love him. Well, he's not a good preacher. Pray for him, you'll be a good preacher. In fact, you pray for me, be so, such a good preacher, somebody else will take him off your hands. 
Pray for them. We need to get into the business of soul winning, dear people. You're an ambassador for Christ. Crash came, the little 16-year-old in Pennsylvania, went running out to the front door. She passed the little nightstand. There was a red YFC Bible. She grabbed her little for Christ Bible and took off. Didn't know why she grabbed it. Ran to the front porch, looked. There was nothing there. But there was a sideboard. She looked out the side, and there was a tractor trailer overturned. She ran over to it, and here was the, the driver pinned under the cab. Terrible pain. And another man came, and he said to the little girl, You stay here. I'll go get help. She knelt down on that asphalt, and she said, Sir, are you ready to die? He said, No, I'm not. She said, Do you want to get ready? He said, I do. And she took her Bible, and step by step, she read him the scriptures. All his sins come short of the glory of God. Do you believe that? He said, I do. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself, gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast you can't work for it. Do you believe it? He said, I do. She said, Jesus alone can save you, because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you believe that? He said, I do. She says, you've got to be willing to forsake your sin. If you don't repent, you're going to perish. Jesus said that. You're willing to believe that? He said, I am. Jesus said, if you invite him in, he'll come in. Will you accept him? He said, I will. He led him to Jesus Christ. Help came in 15 minutes tonight, he said. Let me ask you something. Suppose that had been you. Oh, wait a minute. Suppose that had been you. You were the only hope for that man to make heaven. Could you have done it? Most of our church members couldn't. What a tragedy. But you're going to give an account. Well, Wes, you've got to understand, I, there's no way in the world you can't go to a Christian bookstore and buy a soul winning course. They have them all over the place. Go home and mark your Bible and go get ready to go soul winning. You're an ambassador. Not because you're a preacher. You're an ambassador because you're a Christian. God give us soul winning Christians. God give us soul winning people. There's a world going to hell, and they're looking for an answer. Won't anybody tell me? About three weeks ago, I had the joy of leading a husband and wife to Christ. I preached Sunday night, and the next morning, they wanted to talk to me. I wasn't in a crusade. It was just a one-night preaching. But they wanted to talk, and they came over, and I talked to them about Jesus and realized they needed to be saved. And to make a long story short, I told them about Jesus, how to get saved. And they said, we want to get saved. And they knelt down one on each side of me and accepted Christ. And the guy was a successful businessman. He stood up and he looked at me and he shook my hand and he says, You know, Wes Aaron, ever since I can remember, I've been looking for something and I've been wanting someone to tell me. He said, Last night, by accident, of course it wasn't an accident, but that's all right. By accident, I walked into that church. If you can believe it, I was preaching in a church, a Seventh-day Adventist church. Not the Seventh-day Adventist, Christian Missionary Alliance rented the church because they, they, have, they have their service on Saturday, the Seventh-day Adventist. This was Sunday. He thought it was a Seventh-day Adventist church, and he came in to hear what they believed. He got me instead. And then he heard about Jesus. And he said, man, all night long I couldn't sleep. I kept thinking, you know, that sounds like it makes sense. And he accepted Christ. His face just radiated. He said, oh, boy. He says, this is, a, this is what I was looking for. I came into the area about two weeks later. I said to one of the people, I said, how's he doing? He and his wife, oh, they got into that Alliance Church, by the way. And, oh, Wes, they are just so excited about Jesus. He said, I've been waiting for somebody to tell me. I had a mother come to me after service. She said, Wes, would you pray for my boy? He's in, it happened to be Vancouver, British Columbia. He was in, I was, I was there, and he was in Ontario. She said, will you, will you pray for my son? He's unsaved. Pray that he'll meet a Christian. I said, I'll pray right now. And here's the way I had to pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I named the boy's name. Help him 
meet a Christian. No, Lord, don't let them meet an ordinary Christian because they'll never tell them. Let them meet a spirit-filled Christian that's in love with you. Otherwise, he's not going to hear. That's the way I had to pray. Because, let me ask you this. When was the last time, Christian, when was the last time you witnessed anybody? Oh, now, don't you dare say you didn't have opportunity. That's a lie. God gives opportunities constantly. When was the last time you witnessed for Jesus? There are some people only you can reach. Are you going to tell them? Sat on a plane, you're 16. Your old kid sitting next to me. Started to talk to him about Jesus. He was six miles up in the air. The kid accepted Christ. You know what he said? I've heard about this Jesus, but you know, nobody's ever sat down and told me about him. I just heard some things about him, but he said, I didn't know he could do all this. Oh, man, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. I said, boy, they're picking the fruit. They're looking. They want someone to tell them. And people, I mean it, God will give you the wisdom, he'll give you the words. Be an ambassador, learn how to lead a soul to Christ. When I'm in crusades, I teach people how to win souls to Christ. I try to have so many courses. I give them every single night before the service. People get saved. I say, come tomorrow night, get your Bible. We're going to go soul winning. I want you to mark your Bible for soul winning. Do it all week long. So when I stand before Jesus, he will say, Wes, what about that church? Yes, sir. I taught them how to win souls. Yes, sir, I did. That's why I'm telling you. Serious business.